0: Just for a few minutes, I want to just say a few things uh, about this chap, not directly, uh, but more uh, about the wider situation that the Old Testament believers find themselves in. If you remember, God is coming back here to the same place that he met with Moses in the burning bush. And he said, I'm coming back here because I've fulfilled my promise, I've said what I was going to do, I've redeemed the people. The people have been set free. And uh, there's a lot of physical, visual uh, pictures that, you know, we talked about with the kids. Because that was very important. And even the geography is important uh, in these uh, stories. Because we find that God is going back to places where he has made promises for these promises to be known, to be fulfilled. And he's going on to then give them the ten words... We know it's the Ten Commandments. And as I said earlier, from January onwards, we're going to look at each of these Ten Commandments and apply them uh, with our New Testament eyes to, to our lives. But I just want to ask two questions briefly. Okay? The first is, well, what was it like for Old Testament believers? Because I think, a lot of, I, think I, I may be unfair in saying this, but it may be for a lot of us the Old Testament is a closed book. We find it difficult, and we're not sure if we understand and what the relationship with God to His people is in the Old Testament and how Christ has changed that. And do we need the Old Testament anymore? What was it like for Old Testament believers? And then, briefly, what has changed for us? Because what we want to know and remember is God hasn't changed and people haven't changed. Okay? cultures are different, time is different, society is different, spiritual realities are different, and a lot of things have happened since then, but people don't change, and their need before God isn't different, and God doesn't change. So, there's principles we can always take and remember, but we also need to remember that the Bible is uh, uh, God's Word, and we need to understand it in its own context. There is one Bible— We know that from Genesis to Revelation, and there's also one covenant, one covenant of grace. There's only one way that people can be made right with God. It wasn't a different way in the Old Testament. Uh, They weren't saved by being good people, and then Jesus came along and were saved by grace in the New. Uh, Everyone is saved by God's grace, one covenant. It's just a different outworking of that covenant. And though we believe that and believe that strongly, we also recognize there's discontinuity Okay, big word uh, that I usually get wrong. But there's discontinuity between the New Testament and the Old. There's things that are different about it, and we need to remember that as well. We need to remember that it's kind of a bit like the picture we had of the clouds. There's a lot of things in the Old Testament that meant that the people were kind of seeing through a glass darkly, as the New Testament says. They were seeing through the clouds. Uh, They couldn't see that clearly. And God was progressively revealing himself to them. But it was a preparatory stage as well. God was making things ready, but they couldn't see. For example, they didn't know about Jesus. They didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know about the Holy Spirit, really. And they didn't realize that God was a triune God, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That hadn't been revealed. So there's lots of things that they didn't necessarily know. So, unlike us, they didn't have Jesus Christ. Yes, they were saved by God's grace. We're told here that it was God who took them, uh, carried them on eagle's wings and brought them to himself. It was God's grace that saved them. And uh, yet they didn't know and understand fully that God would need to send one Savior for all people after Jesus and also for those before Jesus So, all they had was this yearly animal sacrifice that pointed towards the need for a perfect sacrifice to atone for their sins. And uh, they had this outward religion that pointed towards that. So, they didn't have Jesus. They weren't like that. They also didn't have the Holy Spirit in the way we have the Holy Spirit. And uh, that must have been hugely difficult for them. They didn't have the Holy Spirit in their hearts in the way that we all have the Holy Spirit in our hearts as believers. The Holy Spirit was given out in various ways in the Old Testament to various people for various tasks, for various times, for various work that they had to do. But they didn't really have this internal power and strength. And so their faith was very external and, can I say, incomplete. It was in in many ways, from a human point of view, it was kind of, an, and even as God looked down on it, it was a a preparatory faith. It was very physical, as we've said, in its emphasis. The physical slavery did speak to them of spiritual slavery, but maybe they didn't understand that fully. They didn't think so much about heaven as much about Canaan, about this promised land they were going to have. They didn't understand Christ, but they did understand the ritual animal sacrifices. They didn't know God's presence in the way we know God's presence, but they did have the Holy of Holies in the temple, and they did have the Ark of the Covenant, and all these very physical things which were signs of God's presence, symbols of God's presence with them. They had lots of ceremonial laws and rules and regulations which told them that God was a very kind of precious God, and God that needed to be obeyed, and God that was very holy. But that's all they had in many ways. They had sounds and smells and certain foods that spoke to them about who God was, but their faith was incomplete at that level. Yet they were redeemed by what Jesus would do, and they were still God's treasured possession and he still wanted a relationship of love with them. So do you think of the Old Testament people as an oppressed people uh, who only knew a harsh and brutal God, the Old Testament fiery, angry God, Dispel these notions? God was a God who loved them. There are some amazing tender pictures of God in the Old Testament. Amazing pictures of a God who is a great king who would scoop up A dying baby in the wilderness, in the desert, and clean it, and take it to be his own. Look after it. A king, a sovereign, a suzerain, who would never do that. And an eagle, who would look after its young in that precious and caring way. Wonderful pictures of God in the Old Testament. But what has changed, in the second question briefly, what has changed for us? Because We need to read the Old Testament recognizing that it is pointing forward, that it does tell us and uh, unfold certain things about God for us and is preparing us for the coming of Jesus. But we do recognize that in Christ all things are new. We have a new and living way to God through Christ. So we don't need Moses or anyone else to go into a cloud in order to see God. God isn't covered by that cloud. He isn't unknown. He has been revealed. Who? He's been revealed in Jesus. So, when you see God, uh, see Jesus, see God. So, God's been revealed. We see Him in the person of Jesus. And that changes absolutely everything. I think sometimes in our theological tradition, we don't mark the discontinuity between the old and the new quite enough. It is one covenant, it's a renewed covenant, but it's it's hugely discontinued in the sense that all things, because of Jesus, are new, because the the cross changes everything. And, And so we look at the Old Testament through the eyes of what God has, God nailed to a tree on the cross. We have that, where Jesus says, it is finished. It's done. I've completed the work. And now this people that have been my people and this people who will be my people will be my people. And the nature of faith uh, changes. And it moves from this ritualistic, outward, ceremonial, visual faith to a spiritual faith where it is internalized where we are gifted god's presence in our hearts I'm going to say a little bit about that where we uh, are not heading for a physical promised land uh, a country within it here in scotland uh, but a spiritual one a kingdom that is uh, we belong to and that is spiritual we are not fighting physical battles against the amalekites and uh, the Philistines and all these people, but we're fighting against the sin in our hearts, the flesh uh, that reacts against Christ and the devil in this spiritual battle. And so we have this amazing reality that that, uh, if you had time to read Hebrews 10, indeed all of Hebrews, you'll find the great, wonderful uh, teaching that brings the Old Testament and applies it to the New Testament through Jesus Christ. Uh, And the the continuity and the discontinuity. But we have this amazing reality of God. There's still mystery. God nailed to a cross. God is still holy. And God is still a judge. Remember that. Sometimes you're like, oh, harsh God, the Old Testament. Nice, loving, gentle God in the New. But God in the cross says that not one sin will go unpunished. Either takes the just punishment for our sin on himself, unbelievably, or you will take it on your own because he's a just God and sin is an offense and because justice is hugely important to us, he will judge. The cross speaks of outstanding love, uh, but outstanding justice. And we see that all of the picture of God in the Old Testament is just molded beautifully onto the cross. Because there we have His love and His justice meeting together. So in Christ, all things are new. And uh, in the New Testament, from Christ onwards, since the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is given out to all of God's people. You know, Joel prophesied that. He said afterwards, he said, I will pour out my Spirit on all people, on everyone who believes. Um, And John, Jesus says in John before his crucifixion, I will give you another counselor, someone who will be with you forever. So we have not just the laws of God, not just the rituals like they did in the Old Testament, we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. He has given us his treasured possession in Christ. and He's also given us his treasured possession in his spirit. So that we can be children of God. So we're empowered from the inside out to love Him. Empowered to change. Empowered to obey. Empowered to love. And that internal life we are given is absolutely life-changing. And the other aspect of that, which is very important... And there is a loud band outside. You hear that? That is very off-putting. We don't only have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We have the law of God in our hearts. And I want to finish it with this. But I want to read something from the Bible. This is very important. From Jeremiah, chapter 31. Because we're just coming into the, the giving of the Ten Commandments, the tablets of stone. You know the story well. And in Jeremiah, chapter 31, and in verse 31, easy to remember, Jeremiah 31, 31. Time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a a new covenant, or I will renew the covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. I will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them out of the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke the covenant, and so on. Then he goes on to say... Verse 33, after that time I will put my law on their minds I will write it on their hearts I will be their God, they will be my people no longer will a man teach his neighbor or brothers you know the Lord because they will all know me from the greatest to the least. There's this internalizing of God's law in our hearts. And in Second Corinthians 3 verse 3 it says, you show that you are a letter from Christ this is to the New Testament church to you and me The result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not with tablets of stone, not with tablets of stone, Moses, but with a tablet on the human heart. We have the law of God in our hearts. Can I say that's so important because there's so much of a uh, dichotomy? People like to say that, oh, we don't believe in the law anymore because we believe in grace, and we believe in serving Jesus and loving Him and following Him, and the law doesn't matter anymore. Jesus says the law is fulfilled in Christ, but it becomes internalized into our own hearts. We are bound to the law of God. Not to save us, not to make us right with God, but to know the blessing of serving God and living the way He wants us to. Grace makes us the people of God. The law marks us as the people of God. So grace makes us the people of God. It's God's grace by which we're redeemed. But when we're redeemed and the Spirit's in our hearts, then so the law of God is written in our hearts. And that's what marks us out as His. Because we reflect Him. Because He's the holy God, isn't He? So we become His holy children. Not because we're self-righteous. Not because we want to be better than other people for the try and make ourselves better before God. But because He's made us to be like that. And it's the best way to be, and it's it's the way to live. Holiness today is a dirty word. It's not talked about. It's not preached about. It's not believed in. But we are clean. You know the washed clothes picture? We've been cleaned by him. We've been made clean. We're not to go back into the gutters. We're to live holy lives, not because we think somehow God will be impressed with that, but because we love him. And because it's a way to live, beware of returning to a kind of Old Testament type thinking of Christianity, which is in the shadows, which is ritualistic religion, which is outward, which is where you're ex- maybe even externally obeying things for an external world to see you. Maybe even the minister or the people you sit beside in church or on a Sunday, or you say the right things, but you lose sight of this heart obedience and this heart law and this heart relationship with the Holy Spirit and this heart truth so that we come today to church not because we're doing anything to earn God's favor, but because we love Him and we want to be with His people and we want to praise Him and we want to worship Him and we want to serve Him. Because this law, what is it? What is this law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Christ has done for us. And that's what's internalized. And that is what is so glorious about being a Christian in the New Testament era where we are children of God in a way that the Old Testament people couldn't see in, in the same way. But with that privilege comes great responsibility we don't really have an excuse to return to rebelliousness and sin the Old Testament church didn't either but they had more I guess temptation to do that we have had so much we've been given so much and uh, we don't want to return to a life of slavery because we've been set free So may that be uh, our experience. Let's bow our heads briefly in prayer. Lord, teach us to look after our hearts. We thank you for the pictures of the Bible, the pictures that speak about uh, so many different things. We thank you that it isn't only in the Old Testament that God uses for his people pictures, but in the New Testament, lots of pictures uh, that are so helpful to us about being fruitful vines or about being a, a seed that's sown in good ground or buildings that are well founded and lots of pictures, lots of parables, just to help us to know what it means to belong to the Lord God and to know about his holiness and to know about Jesus' finished work. And may we all be followers of Jesus. And for any today who are in church who as yet are not not followers of Jesus, may they bow the knee and confess their sins and repent and come to the only one who is able to forgive them, and to give them a new heart, and a new life, and a new way forward. Again, we thank you for the children, and we ask for your blessing on them, and for the way they've been so great here today, even in church, to sit and listen to the sermon. So bless them, and bless us as we sing together a parting uh, song of praise. To the glory of God, we ask these things. Amen.